0: Дай нам больше от Духа Твоего. Пропитай нас Духом Твоим Святым. Позволь нам найти светлое лицо Твое. Я представляю это служение в Твои божественные руки. Веди Его рукою превознесенную. Великий Бог, Отец Сын Дух Святой. Аминь. Да благословит вас Господь. Можете садиться.
1: Yeah.
2: So if you have your Bibles, please open up with me a familiar place of Scripture that continues to contain the depths of the riches of the wisdom of God that is not possible
0: to comprehend to its end. As Paul says that your
2: law is very, very vast. Matthew 5, 45 and 48 That you may be sons of your Father in heaven for he makes the sun rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust.
0: Therefore you shall be perfect just as your Father in heaven is perfect. The sermon
2: that I would like to continue is called, Called to Perfection. Or more likely we're talking here about continuing this sermon. As this is the last days before the Lord raptures his bride, he wants her to be perfect as he is, and that she be in accordance to his perfection. Those people that will not be in accordance to that perfection, they will not be able to be raptured. Even with all the desire they may have to do so, it is necessary to be, link yourself, bind yourself to this faith and pay the appropriate price of all that we have. And so the promise contained in the commandment is the inheritance of the saints of all generations, and this commandment of Christ is addressed specifically to his students. Therefore, people who do not accept God's delegated authority over themselves have no part in the inheritance that is contained in this commandment and are not able to have it. People who have elected a pastor for themselves, they have nothing to do and have no connection to this commandment because to be a student of a person whom we choose is not possible the one that we elect is required to obey us and it is not him who will tend us but we who will tend him RELEVANT TO FULFILLING THIS REQUIRED commandment, WE stopped TO STUDY THE PURPOSE OF THE RIGHTEOUSNESS OF GOD IN THE HEART OF A MAN, SPECIFICALLY THE GOALS THAT THE RIGHTEOUSNESS OF GOD ABIDING WITHIN OUR HEART IS CALLED TO PURSUE, AND IN PART WE'VE BEEN STUDYING THE PURPOSE OF THE RIGHTEOUSNESS OF GOD WITHIN OUR HEART RECEIVED BY US IN THE TWO BROKEN TABLETS IN WHICH WE DIED BY THE LAW FOR THE LAW TO LIVE FOR THE ONE THAT DIED AND RESURRECTED, AND BY DOING SO RECEIVE CONFIRMATION OF OUR SALVATION in in the new tablets of the covenant in the format of the law of the spirit of life so that we provide God a basis to give us the promise to be heirs of peace, not by the past law, but by the righteousness of faith like he gave it to Abraham and his seed. Abraham, whom he created the father and made the father of all who believe. For the promise that he would be the heir of the world was not to Abraham or to his seed through the law, but through the righteousness of faith, Romans 4.13. We've noted that to know the righteousness of faith is determined by the obedience of our faith to the faith of God. The faith of God is information of the preached word. This is not emotion. This is information. Faith is from hearing the word of God. We need to always understand this and remember this because even uh, the Pope and
0: the Patriarch of uh of russia
2: they don't know this they don 't know what the fa- what the faith of God is they uh explain the faith of God as something you feel this I've also heard from uh, leaders of the Pentecostal churches charismatic churches but this is not true this is not an emotion that comes upon you this is a command of a leader of a commander and you as a warrior in prayer you immediately fulfill that command that is given to you if as Elijah said what will you command me to do Lord and he said rise and walk and he rose up and walked And so the righteousness of faith is determined by the obedience of our faith to the faith of God, which is presented in the preached word of God sent together with the person who represents the fatherhood of God for us and is our head. Therefore the promise of the peace of God is given only to those men that are obedient to the order of God in accordance to which God sends us his words by the mouth of his delegated people. Therefore the covenant of peace within the heart of a man is the result of the obedience of his faith to the faith of God which is the spoken word of God's delegated ones. To examine a person as to whether he truly is sent by God to present to us his word is to be done by the power of delegation within the implemented by God order and by the existing within our heart anointing. When one anointed by God person delegates and sends another anointed-by-God person.
0: And again, also with the
2: existing within-our-heart anointing to identify the voice of God in the mouth of that person who is supposed to represent the fatherhood of God to us. 1 John 2, 18-26 Little children, it is the last hour. And as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, and a hater of Christ. Even now many Antichrists have come, by which we know that it is the last hour. And the most
0: uh important thing uh, that
2: many people don't pay attention to is that they went out from us. It isn't the world that is an Antichrist or the Antichrist, but people who knew him and began to resist him. The cherubim who knew God and then went against him. They, were, they went out from us, but they were not of us, for if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that they might be mani- made manifest that none of them were of us. But you have an anointing from the Holy One, and you know all things. These things I have written to you concerning those who try to deceive you. Those who try to deceive you, you need to then determine within your own heart if I sent this person or if I didn't send this person, if what he says is in accordance to the, to the truth. If you don't have the truth in your heart, then, of course, you won't have anointing. You need to know what kind of person needs to is able to be anointed by God, not one that says that God has sent him. How can God send you? I had a vision. I had a revelation. I had a prophecy. God doesn't send in these forms. Apostle Paul had a prophecy that God will send him, but he didn't do anything. He continued to be in the church and served God and suddenly in the church the Lord spoke to the leader, to the person in charge and told them, separate Bonavis and Saul for the work of ministry. And they, after three days of fasting, put their hands upon Apostle Paul and Bonavis and They were not yet apostles at that time, but just prophets and teachers. But as soon as God said, separate them for me, they separated them and they became, they were delegated and became apostles. In this way, by the order of theocracy, a person can't vote for a pastor or people can't vote for a pastor. An apostle, a father needs to place, as Paul says, go to those churches, where the Lord had formed by the sermon of the gospel and finished the work that has not been finished. Apostle Paul couldn't be everywhere. He sent his helpers so that they would be able to delegate someone in every church. Therefore, by the means of the righteousness of faith, the covenant of peace, demonstrated in the inheritance of peace, is called to abide and be within the heart of a man evidence of the fact that he is a child of God. Therefore the inheritance of peace present in the covenant of peace is actually the treasury of our hope in God containing the complex of all of the promises of God. Therefore it is righteousness by the means of the peace of God containing the covenant of peace. That can and is called to guard our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God.
0: And so, again,
2: if a person is in Christ,
0: At one time, a person
2: uh, approached me and said, I heard you're a very religious person. I would like to talk to you. And I said, they lied to you because I'm not actually religious at all. I'm not a religious person at all. And he he was surprised. But what do I do? They told me that you know God. Well, religious people, I told him, don't know God. But what do you mean? He asked, because religious is a dead faith. Religious is a dead faith. Religion itself. Living faith is can't be called a religion. I told him
0: <clears throat>
2: You know who what Engels said, a Christian person who accepted Christ. Religious religion is as opium for the nations where people confess phrases or slogans that they don't understand they take the word they confess it they have not comprehended this truth at their heart and confess it and think it's going to happen this is that opium i am a christian person i told him i believe in the word of god and i believe god and i love him and then we began to talk And so the peace of God that is able to guard our thoughts in Christ Jesus are thoughts that are renewed by the spirit of our mind, which is the mind of Christ in our spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace, because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can be. So then those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Romans 8, 6 through 8. According to this statement, we conclude that people who have rejected the condition where the truth of the preached word and the power of the Holy Spirit renews their mind by the spirit of their mind have no connection to the peace of God and are not able to have it. And consequently such people have no connection and cannot have a connection to the Sons of Peace either, that by the means of the peace of God would inherit eternal salvation in the Kingdom of Heaven. We need to apprehend this well that it is only by the collaboration of our spirit with our renewed mind that is within Christ Jesus that we are called to enthrone the resurrection of Christ in our bodies and clothe our body into the resurrection of Christ. Therefore to look at the righteousness of faith so we bring about the inheritance of the peace of God and the conditions outlining the way our righteousness needs to garment itself in the armor of this peace so that our minds would be perfect as our Heavenly Father is perfect, we have been studying the following question. By what signs are we able to determine, examining ourselves, that we are sons of peace as well as the sons of God?
0: Because it is by the reign of the
2: peace of God within our heart that we are able to examine ourselves as to whether we are truly the sons of God. As it is written, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God, Matthew 5, 9. With this, we have noted that if a person has not died for his nation, for the house of his father, and for his fleshly life, then his justification, which he received in salvation, by faith in Christ Jesus in the format of a guarantee, will never convert into the quality and format of righteousness, by which he would be able to receive the ability to be clothed into the promise of the peace of God, so that he, in righteousness, would bear fruits of peace which is why the prepared-for-them crown of righteousness will be taken from such people, giving them the right to the promise of peace, where they can be called sons of God.
0: Behold, I am coming quickly, hold fast what you have, that no one may take your crown.
2: Revelations 3.11 We need to remember that the promise of the peace of God receives its power and its legitimacy within our heart only by the righteousness of our faith in the covenant of peace, which places responsibility upon both sides of the covenant, where each side or participant of the covenant is responsible to fulfill their role that is implemented by God, that are the, are the obligations of that covenant. And if either of the sides violates the condition that was agreed upon in the covenant of peace between God and man, we note that such a violator can only be a man, then the other side being God is released or freed from the responsibility of fulfilling the condition of the agreement of the covenant of peace. Therefore, the fruit of righteousness, identified as the peace of God within our heart, is evidence of the fact that we are sons of peace. This serves as grounds or basis for God so that He may fulfill His part contained in the covenant of peace, which consists of leading us into the inheritance of His Son, so that we would share with him all the things that are written about him in the laws, prophets, and Psalms. And to lead us into the inheritance of his son, we ourselves need to become this inheritance, so that in our body the stronghold of death will be destroyed, and the stronghold of life will <coughs> will be erected. This happens by faith. When we by faith accept the promises of God, God upon our account writes down That the stronghold of death is destroyed and the stronghold of life and resurrection is replaced with it. And you may say well I don't feel these things but God says you need to consider yourself dead to sin living for God if you by faith accept that you are father of many nations that these promises are yours then God will account this as righteousness to you and this will be already yours and when the time comes appointed by God because he said "Uh, two thousand years already people die and they have not been raptured but they die in faith that they will be raptured they already see themselves as raptured and this is righteousness it's the same thing here accepting the promise that belongs to the door of our hope that before God will rapture us he will do something with us he will in our earthly body he will uh, he will cast out the stronghold of death and replace it with the stronghold of life because the justification that we receive by right of our birth from the seed of the word of truth has converted into the quality and format of righteousness where we have obtained the ability to bear the fruits of peace within our relationship with God and with those around us. Pursue peace with all people and holiness, without which no one will see the Lord. <clears throat> Hebrews 12:14. And so again, without holiness no one will see the Lord and so we've noted that this place of scripture is talking about a form of unique and supernatural peace that is to be done by god only within the boundaries of holiness or be an expression and demonstration of holiness these outlined and identified boundaries of holiness are the commandments of god contained in the righteousness of god if possible as much as depends on you live peaceably with all men romans 12 18. And so Apostle Paul says here that we cannot have peace, or it's not possible to have peace with all. But you may say, well, this is possible, but the scriptures don't base things upon what a person says, but is basing this up upon the demands of holiness. It is says that if this person is not in accordance to holiness or the uh, requirements of holiness you can't have peace with this person therefore the peace that we dare by the inspiration of our mind to demonstrate out of the boundaries of holiness and not as an expression of holiness will be incriminated to us as a serious form of lawlessness for which we will be required to to uh, pay a price of eternal life because our communication with people that the scriptures identify as evil company will corrupt our good habits and will transform us into to their wicked image. Do not be deceived, evil company corrupts good habits, awake to righteousness and do not sin, for some do not have the knowledge of God. I speak this to your shame. 1 Corinthians 15 33 34. And so, people who say that God loves everyone and this does not exist. These words don't actually exist in Scripture. He loves those who love him. He hates those who hate him. And if you begin to state the opposite and are friends with people that say that they love God, but their works are evil and they live a very different life, then
0: they just don't know
2: what God they're serving. Therefore it is impossible and criminal to have peace with the unclean and the wicked who support the unclean, who in their time accepted the truth but afterwards left their church and turned away from the holy commands that were given to them. The very fact of their rebellion and resistance against the word spoken by God's delegated ones that are placed over them testify of the loss of peace within their heart and member them to the category of the wicked. But the wicked are like the troubled sea when it cannot rest, whose waters cast up mire and dirt. There is no peace, says my God, for the wicked. Isaiah 57, 20-21 And this is not the only place of scripture. In a specific format, we've already looked at six signs by which we need to determine and examine ourselves as to whether we are the sons of peace as well as the sons of God and have been studying the seventh sign. This is... Being a part of the sons of peace, you have the ability to clothe your essence into the holy and selective love of God. Colossians 3, 14, 15, but above all these things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection, and let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which also you were called in one body, and be thankful. After we will be clothed into love, then in our hearts, the peace of God will rule We've noted that according to this place of Scripture, the reign of the peace of God within our heart is possible only upon one condition, and that is if the selective love of God will abide within our heart, and if we will be clothed into the selective love of God. By itself, the selective love of God is an uncomprehending, in Scripture it's called a holy love, a selective love, is a holy loved one that is selected as there are a a flock of pure lambs but are not a single of one one of them is holy holy will be that lamb that will be separated from the flock and will be offered and so when a lamb is chosen that she be she needs to of course be a perfect lamb that there not be any blemish on her, that she not be hurt in any way uh, or any other unusual deformities. When they choose such a lamb, they prepare her for offering. This is what is holy. Chosen, separated, they separate her from the flock. God does not choose people from the world. He chooses his people from the church the church is are the saved nations from these saved nations he chooses his he finds his people and from the rest and the rest will perish they receive salvation but they will perish if they will not be chosen and in order to be chosen you need to do something for this Because God does not choose for himself, he chooses those who have dedicated themselves to him. Those who do not not dedicate themselves to him, they cannot be chosen. And so, however unfortunate this may sound, however sad this may be, Jesus said, there are many called, few are chosen, all are called lambs, but the chosen are the holy. And so God's love is, first of all, a holy love. And so to translate this a little bit more clearly, we call the holy love as selective love. It selects, it separates the one from the other. And so by itself, this selective love of God is an uncomprehending for the human mind goodness of God or kindness that is inherent to God. Since it is in the selective love of God, which is the goodness of God, we see concealed those good, wonderful, eternal and uncomprehending for the human mind goals and works of God called to build a unique and peaceful relationship between God and his children. And this is exclusively with his children whom he selected, not those who whom he called, there are many who are called but those who are chosen. Comprehending the selective love of God, the holy love of God, is called to fill us with all of the fullness of the peace of God or make us perfect as our heavenly Father is perfect. That He would grant you, according to the riches of His glory, to be strengthened with might through His Spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. You see where the choice happens, the decision, when we go to greet God and we make, we give God the ability that He, with His Spirit, would uh, be strengthened within. In the, in the spirit, in the inner man. That Christ, so this means, this again was spoken to those, Apostle Paul was speaking to those who was already saved. Uh, Paul was saying that he was praying that they be strengthened with might through the Spirit in the inner man, so God do something with them so that they would be grounded and rooted in love, that Christ may dwell in their hearts through faith. They may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is that width and length and depth and height to know the love of Christ, which passes knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God, Ephesians 3, 16-19. However, to come to more practical conclusions when it comes to the selective love of God, we decided to look at the character and quality contained in the selective love of God in the form of seven qualities of true virtue presented by the Holy Spirit in Scripture in the spoken words of the apostles and prophets. Second Peter 1, 2-8, this is virtue, knowledge, self-control, perseverance, godliness, brotherly kindness kindness. kindness, and love. Each of the seven qualities of the fruit of virtue contains the characteristics of all of the rest of the qualities, as they flow one from the other, complete or support one the other, strengthen one the other, and confirm the truthful nature of one the other. Second, these qualities are called to be the moral perfection and example inherent to the essence of God. Third, the given qualities are the great and precious promises given to us in Jesus Christ and by Jesus Christ. Fourth, the given qualities are the imperishable treasure and wealth with which we need to become rich fifth in order to receive the inheritance of these qualities it is necessary for us to receive the power of the holy spirit and receive him as the lord and master of our life sixth the means that we are to utilize for receiving the power of the holy spirit is the obedience of our faith to the faith of god uh, seventh by inheriting these great and precious promises, we become a part of God's divine nature. Therefore the selective love of God demonstrated in the seven unchanging qualities and characteristics have nothing in common with and cannot have anything in common with the nature of human love that is filled with egoism, greed and is just temporary. It is the selective love of God. Unlike the selective love of God, they again are filled with egoism, greed and are temporary. It is the selective love of God in the of seven qualities of unearthly virtue that is called to enthrone the resurrection of Christ in our earthly bodies and clothe our earthly body into the resurrection of Christ that is into our new person. The quality of the selective love of God does not compare in any way with the tolerant love of man, because the virtue of the selective love of God are eternally existing virtues, qualities and characteristics of our Heavenly Father and His all-consuming holiness and all that comes from God because God is love. And this more specifically is that holy love is separated from all that man calls love. And such an uncomprehending, for our mind transcendent love of God is identified in Scripture as the bond of perfection which directs us to the fact that the selective love of God is placed by God as first or head of all of the other perfections identified as as his virtues but above all these things put on love which is the bond of perfection Colossians 3:14). 3,
0: uh,
2: when I spoke this phrase one young lieutenant who recently finished the university he said what did you say repeat it again
0: I've never heard this uh,
2: identification of love Look in the dictionary what love is. You ask children, what is love? And a little girl says, it's when they kiss. Well, you could kiss uh, whomever you want, a, a cat, a dog, and people do that. And they say, I love my horse, I love my... But if you love your horse, then do you love him with the same love that you love God? God's love is love agape and a love to an animal is a very different love. Even a friendship love, filio, is a love but a love only between two friends. But there's a love between uh, relatives, dorge, which is relative love uh, or when you have uh, familial uh, connections or relations. The bond of perfection of the selective love of God is unconditional when it comes to the seven qualities of virtue. Unlike the tolerant and egotistical love of man, the unconditional nature of the selective love of God in the seven qualities of virtue is different in that it contains the burning jealousy of God, all his knowledge and his absolute wisdom that in no way is able to be used for greedy and egotistical purposes or goals of man. At the same time, the tolerant love of man toward other men is very conveniently used for greedy and egotistical purposes.
0: I sometimes repeat this saying, this tolerant love of man.
2: Pretty much there's a lot of different sayings of the love of man that it's foolish and often is very blind. And they use a
0: uh,
2: he they use a married woman they fall in love and make her fall in love with him and they separate and then leaves her and this woman begins to panic and thinks that uh, that she was loved but she was just being used God's love doesn't use anyone it doesn't trick or fool anyone it is very different in that manner <clears throat> Here's what the scriptures say regarding the strength of the love of God. Set me as a seal upon your heart, as a seal upon your arm. For love is as strong as death, jealousy as cruel as the grave. As flames are flames of fire, a most vehement flame. Many waters cannot quench love, nor can the floods drown it. If a man would give for love all the wealth of his house, it would be utterly despised. Songs of Solomon 8, 6-7 In Scripture, the measure of the love of God is identified by and is known by the measure of God's hatred toward evil and men who do this evil. You have loved righteousness and hated lawlessness, for God, your God, has anointed you more than your companion with the oil of gladness. And so loving what God loves and hating what God hates, we demonstrate God's reaction to good and evil. We show the godliness of God, the selective love of God by its unchanging nature in the form of seven supernatural qualities, is called to grow us into the fullness of growth in Christ, or lead us into the perfection that is like the perfection of our heavenly Father. Considering that these seven qualities of virtue do not have an analog in the earthly realm of the human lexicon. You will not find it in any dictionaries of the world. The love of God is the foundation and atmosphere of the moral and immovable law, opening within our heart the essence of God and the essence of the heavenly kingdom." And this is not all. The love of God agape is a sovereign love which is unconditional when it comes to the people it chooses in its abilities to foreknow and predestine. Because of its sovereignty, the selective love of God never violates the sovereign rights of those people she selects.
0: <clears throat>
2: and never allows her own sovereign rights within her boundaries to be violated. These boundaries identified as his burning holiness. This is why when a rabbi marries two young people, two Jewish young uh, a woman and a man, she, he asks her, do you agree that if your husband will leave the Torah, you will leave him? you will break your marriage? She says, yes. Do you also agree if your husband will follow the Torah that you will support him and will stand behind him or support him? A helper is one that stands for him, together with him and against him also when he uh, goes against the Torah. Of course, these positions may be contradicting, but they're not to stand against if, I married a Christian, and then he began to behave as not a non-Christian, then you can peacefully leave such a husband and remain as is or marry another because they violate the covenant. You married a Christian person, or you married a Christian woman, and then you discovered that she's not even Christian. When I say Christian, this is not one who believes that God is or exists. The devil also believes that. We're talking about obeying the word of God. This is one that believes that's one who is obedient to the word of God. In a specific format, we've already looked at the demonstration of the selective love of God in the qualities of virtue, knowledge, self-control, and perseverance, and stopped to study the virtue of the love of God in the mystery of the great godliness. If anyone teaches otherwise and does not consent to wholesome words, even the words of our Lord Jesus Christ, and to the doctrine which accords with godliness, he is proud, knowing nothing, but is obsessed with disputes and arguments over words, from such withdraw yourselves. 1 Timothy 6, 3-4 Tolerant love uh, does the opposite. Accept him, accept him as is, be tolerant of a person as he is. But the scriptures say, "Do do not have contact with this person, separate yourself. According to this place of scripture, we note that the teaching of godliness within the selective love of God and obsession with disputes and arguments over words are not only opposites or contrary one to the other, but are also unfitting by their nature. In scripture, the, the discipline of godliness within the selective love of God is presented as the base or foundation of the gospel faith teaching, linked together with the great mystery of God. Of God. 1 Timothy 3.16. And without controversy, greatest mystery of godliness, God was manifested in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen by angels, preached among the Gentiles, believed on in the world, received up in glory. Therefore, by demonstrating the signs of the fruits of godliness, we identify the, tr- the true quality of the Love of God, agape, within the heart of a man, in his words, his actions, and manner in which he is dressed, which isn't supposed to prompt instincts of the opposite sex. This is all you can say about clothing. But when the brotherly council begins to make decisions, how long the skirt needs to be, how what form uh, the pants need to be
0: what kind of
2: uh, shirt you need uh, you need to can wear long sleeves or short sleeved uh, how many buttons you need to button up we had a command that there you can only button up one button and I never understood why we can't button up the second one one time I, I came up to the pastor at the time and asked why we can't we button the second one he looked at me and I said, oh, you're still young, I'll tell you, because the second when you unbutton it, uh, uh, you'll see the hair on the chest or uh, chest hair. And it might uh, prompt the uh, instincts of the opposite sex, the sisters in the church.
0: And of course I didn't uh, change my opinion what he said
2: but it was very confusing to me I couldn't be against that uh, what he had said but I was not agreeing uh, I wasn't agreeing with this in scripture this doesn't exist but I couldn't tell me but I couldn't tell him show me in scripture that the chest hair of a man will prompt or uh, bring forth the desire of of the sisters in the church Хорошо in scripture the meaning contained in the virtue godliness describes the legitimate relationship of the saints and god bound together in a mutual union or covenant furthermore the essence of the selective love of god in godliness is determined and demonstrated in mutual obligation of god and man relevant to this fact it was necessary first to respond to four classical questions what are the characteristics of godliness in scripture that of god as well as that of man what purpose is godliness called to fulfill within the relationship of God with man and man with God? What conditions do we need to fulfill to collaborate our godliness with the godliness or kindness of God? And by what signs are we able to determine that our godliness is truly collaborating with the godliness of God? In a specific format, as much as God has allowed in the measure of our faith, we've already looked at the first two questions and stopped to study the third question. What conditions do we need to fulfill to collaborate our godliness with the godliness of God? What conditions do we need to fulfill to attract the favor of God upon us in the form of his godliness. And before we continue to study the given virtue of the mystery of godliness, we noted that there is a fundamental difference between the goodness of God in his favor toward man and the godliness of man, which is called to, we are called to demonstrate in our love to God. For example, the godliness of a man is his favor to God, a man's grace to God and his thanksgiving. The godliness of a man needs to demonstrate itself in visiting the fatherless and widow in their hardship and keep themselves defiled from the world. The godliness of man is imitating Christ and meditating about the things of the hills. The godliness of a man is seeking God and his good, acceptable, and perfect will. The godliness of God, or the goodness of God toward man, is his goodness, his favor, and his grace toward man, his mercifulness toward man, his thanksgiving toward man. This is his good work and his good acts
0: toward man his kindness in the absolute sense of the word
2: the goodness of god in his favor toward man is an uncomprehending and inaccessible for the mind of man kindness of of god identified in his good acceptable and perfect will which was formed in the entrails of the heavenly father and elevated by him as a law of grace in the form of his commandment which God has magnified above all his names and placed himself in dependence from his word contained in his commandment. The goodness of God as a commandment of God was elevated by God as a law, a law for himself, his son, and the Holy Spirit, as well as his chosen flock, whom he, because of his ability to see all things, foreknew and predestined so that they may be in the image of a son, so that he be the first among born among many brothers, for whom he foreknew he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Romans eight twenty nine. The Old as well as the New Testament identified the virtue of the love of God in the discipline of godliness as one of the greatest mysteries of God himself, which defends and makes the sincere love of God impossible for counterfeit and falsification. Aside from these characteristics called to identify the character of godliness, there's also a counterfeit form of godliness that exists as well, that conflicts with or resists the true form of godliness." Having a form of godliness, but denying its power, and from such people turn away. First t- or second Timothy three
3: five.
2: <clears throat> everywhere where the love of God is, me everywhere you'll see separate from, do not communicate with.
0: True godliness in
2: man perfectly differentiates or identifies a counterfeit form of godliness in man, and with disdain break all relations or contact with them and distance itself from them as it reveres and trembles before all the dictations of God and possesses discipline capable of fulfilling these dictations with great accuracy. If we don't break our relationship with people that have the look of godliness and will not distance ourselves from them then they will corrupt our godliness that is contained in our good habits which is why we together with them will inherit the prepared for them destruction therefore a continuation of the third question, what conditions do we need to fulfill to collaborate our own godliness with the goodness of God or attract the favor of God upon ourselves? To attract God's favor upon yourself in the selective love of God, it is necessary to return and seek the Lord your God and David your king and fear the Lord and his goodness.
0: Hosea 3, 4,
2: 5. For the children of Israel shall abide many days without king or prince, without sacrifice or sacred pillar, without ephod or teraphim. Afterwards, the children of Israel shall return and seek the Lord their God and David their king. They shall fear the Lord and his goodness in the latter days.
0: To abide many
2: days without a king or prince, and without sacrifice or sacred pillar, and without an ephod or teraphim, means, which is the breastplate of judgment, means to abide many days under the control of reigning sin, in the form of your old person being supported by organized powers of darkness. To return to the Lord your God is to, first of all, restore the altar, which means thoroughly and completely cleanse yourself of sin.
0: Yet from the days of your fathers you have gone away from my
2: ordinances and have not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you said, In what way shall we return? Bring all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. You see where turning back to God starts bring your all your tithes and that means yourself so that there may be food in my house and try me now And this says the lord of hosts if i will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you such blessing that there will not be room enough to receive them Mal- malachi 3 7 and 10 to seek david your king means place your carnal mind in dependence of the spirit of your mind which is the mind of christ in your spirit Habakkuk 2 1-4, I will stand my watch and set myself on the rampart, and watch to see what he will say to me, and what I will answer when I am corrected. Then the Lord answered me and said, Write the vision, and make it plain on tablets, that he may run who reads it. For the vision is yet for an appointed time, but at the end it will speak, and it will not lie. Though it tarries, wait for it, because it will surely come. It will not tarry. Behold, the proud, his soul, is not upright in him, but the just shall live by his faith. Here, it's talking about the fact that the fleshly mind is placed independent, independence of King David, the mind of Christ. Therefore, returning to the Lord and seeking David, your King, we will be able to collaborate our faith with the faith of God. But first, it is necessary to do three things. First, is to repair the altar for the offering of sacrifices. This symbolizes the state of our heart that is cleansed in conscience from dead works. Second, to place the breastplate of judgment with the twelve names of the tribes of Israel written upon the twelve precious stones into your conscience that is cleansed from dead works. Third, present your body upon the altar Upon this altar as a living sacrifice wholly acceptable to God as our good service, which is in accordance to the demands of the will of God, written upon the twelve precious stones of the breastplate of judgment, only after will fulfilling these three following conditions we will receive the opportunity and ability to fear and revere before the Lord and his goodness, or with the redemption that he has accomplished, deliver us from the stronghold of death
0: to fear and revere before God and His goodness
2: with the redemption that He has accomplished deliver us from the stronghold of death that is within our body and erect the stronghold of life in its place. To attract God's favor, this is the next, to attract God's favor upon yourself in the selective love of God, it is necessary not to forget the law of your father and keep His commands in your heart. My son, do not forget my law, but let your heart keep my commands. For length of days and long life and peace they will add to you. Let not mercy and truth forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablets of your heart. And do so find favor and high esteem in the sight of God and man. Proverbs 3, 1 through 4. Here we're talking about how to turn God's favor or to attract God's favor upon yourself. The phrase, let not mercy and truth forsake you, refers to demonstrating mercy and truth toward your neighbor. It refers to our behavior and our relationship with our neighbors. It is because of the mercy that we show within the boundaries of the truth toward one another in the body of Christ that the blood of Jesus Christ receives the legal ability to cleanse us from dead, from, from our sins. Proverbs 16.6, In mercy and truth, atonement is provided for iniquity, and by the fear of the Lord, one departs from evil. If mercy is shown from one person to another, then God can show his mercy. If not, then he cannot. We need to consider that the cleansing of our essence from sin happens if we have fellowship with one another upon the condition that we walk in the light of the truth in which God walks and abides. Therefore, it is referring to such a form of mercy toward one another that can happen exclusively within the boundary of righteousness, which is holy truth. In essence, without showing such mercy to one another, that is done within the light of righteousness or within the boundary of righteousness, God will not have the basis to show us his mercy. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy, Matthew 5, 7. In scripture, the word mercy comes from the root verb to provide with, to care for, to prepare. In Hebrew, the word mercy means loyalty, faithfulness, compassion, leniency, faithfulness, or loyalty, kindness as a result of loyalty or faithfulness. The given word is vast in meaning. It describes the proper relationship that needs to be between men or between man and God, linked in a mutual agreement or covenant, or in some other way. This word includes the meaning of kindness and mercy, as well as the meaning of loyalty and faithfulness, and independence of the context, it reflects the one or the other meaning and is and is opposite to deception, falsehood, and injustice. Here we're talking about mercy. Therefore, in order for us to demonstrate the commands of the Father in the form of the mercy and truth of the Lord toward one another, it is necessary to bind your neck with mercy and truth and write them upon the tablets of your heart. And in order to bind the mercy and truth of God around your neck and write the essence of truth and mercy upon the tablets of your heart and not forget the commands and law of your Father and keep them in your heart, it is necessary to tend the thoughts of your father. Songs of Solomon one seven eight. Tell me, O you whom I love, where you feed your flock, where you make it rest at noon. For why should I be as one who veils your, herself by the flocks of your companion? A response to the question If you do not if you do not know, O fairest among women, follow in the footsteps of the flock and feed your little goats beside the shepherds' tents. To follow the footsteps of the flock is to be in the church. Go where the church is going and feed your little goats besides the shepherd's tents.
0: And so tend the thoughts. Tend the
2: thoughts of your father, the the sheep of your father. The thing is that we express, or we expressing mercy toward one another within the boundary of the truth of the word of God, we give the Holy Spirit the legal basis to abide within our heart and fill our heart with the peace of God. If we will not express mercy toward one another within the boundary of the truth of the written word of God, we will condemn ourselves to solitude and isolation from fellowship with, with the brothers and will also isolate ourselves from a relationship with God the revelation about how to demonstrate this mercy within the boundaries of the truth toward one another in order to meet with God and obtain a relationship with God we will be able to obtain it in no other way but only by tending the flocks of our father next to the tents of the shepherds or tend the flocks of your father symbolizing his thoughts or mind Exodus 3, 1, 2. Now Moses was tending the flocks of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the back of the desert and came to Horeb the mountain of God and the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire from from the midst of a bush so he looked and behold the bush was burning with fire but the bush was not consumed and God would not never have done this he would never have appeared to Moses if he would not have been tending the flock of his fathers we also find the idea of tending the flocks of your father in the relationship of David and his father Jesse which allows him to overcome the lion and the bear attempting to take a lamb of his father. But David said to Saul, Your servants used to keep his father's sheep. And when a lion or a bear came and took a lamb out of the flock, I went after out after it and struck it and delivered the lamb from its mouth and when it arose against me i caught it by its beard and struck and killed it your servant has killed both lion and bear and this uncircumcised philistine will be like one of them seeing he has defied the armies of the living god first samuel seventeen thirty four through 36 when a certain negative thought
0: is uh,
2: spoken against your father and his thoughts do you truly agree with what your pastor preaches remember this is a lion or bear that has arose against you and you need to capture this thought of the he's trying to take the thought of the father to replace it do you all see what he's saying either this is a person of God and we believe him or this is not a person of God and we don't believe him truly did God say that you can't eat of any tree in the garden you see the, the question is tricky no he said it's from one tree the important thing is to make uh, start dialogue with you and then he'll take you by the hook uh, the thoughts already entered into your mind and you allowed it to do that David didn't have this. He said, if he took it from the flock, I took it from him. And if not, if he rose against me, then I would uh, kill him that also chase those thoughts that chase away those thoughts that come to you kill that lion and that bear considering that these are symbols for us apostle paul indicates that having the salvation of christ is dependent upon our relationship with the church of christ as the relationship of a, of a father and his son I do not write these things to shame you but as my beloved children I warn you for though you might have 10,000 instructors in Christ yet you do not have many fathers for in Jesus Christ I have begotten you through the gospel therefore urge I urge you to imitate me for this reason I have sent Timothy to you who is my beloved and faithful son of the Lord who will remind you of my ways in Christ as I teach everywhere in every church 1 Corinthians 4 14-17 the ways of Apostle Paul as a man that is clothed into the fatherhood of God is something Timothy had reminded us of, or the churches. That is that the church of Christ would imitate Apostle Paul as he imitates Christ. This is our sovereign right to choose and make a decision to imitate that person that represents the fatherhood of God as he imitates Christ. And such an imitation consists in us being able to bind our neck with mercy and truth within the boundaries of the truth of the word of God and write them upon the tablets of our heart just as one that imitates Christ does and represents the fatherhood of God to us. Without his instruction that he receives by revelation of the Holy Spirit into his heart as the reader, we will have no chance to bind our neck with mercy within the boundary of the truth or or to write them upon the tablets of our heart. This is the unchanging and unquestionable order identifying the rule of the Heavenly Father as well as the atmosphere of the Kingdom of Heaven. If we attempt to ignore it and justify ourselves with the very popular phrase, all men make mistakes. We in this way do not trust God and begin to resist God. Most assuredly I say to you, he who, dis- who receives whomever I send receives me, and he who receives me receives him who sent me. John 13:20. And also, he who hears you hears me, he who rejects you rejects me, and he who rejects me rejects him who sent me. Luke 10,
0: 16.
2: Understandably, those who are self-called and tear apart the body of Christ by the form of division, going against the teaching of Christ and those people that we choose for ourselves by the manner of voting follow the way of the world and have no part of the above given instructions. The neck is the will of a man, due to which a man can accept wise decisions that are in accordance to the instructions of the Father, to bind your neck with mercy and truth and write them upon the tablets of your heart. Tablets of our heart is the aspect of our conscience, therefore, in order to write mercy upon these tablets, which we are called to express toward one another within the boundary of the truth of the elementary principles of Christ, we need the will. The will of a man by nature is stubborn. And if we are, if we ourselves and not someone else do not bind our neck with mercy within the boundaries of the truth of Scripture and will not write them upon the tablets of our heart, our names will be blotted out of the book of life. Which is why the crown of righteousness will, that is prepared for us will be taken from us and we will lose our salvation. Therefore, the verb to bind, when it comes to our neck, in Hebrew, it has a few unique Interpretations. To bind your disobedient will with bonds of the covenant of blood and salt, to place it independence of the spirit of our mind. To plot or conspire against your disobedient will with the abilities of the Holy Spirit. To subjugate your will as a slave of righteousness or deliver it from the slavery of sin being supported by the old person. At the same time, the verb to write when it comes to the tablets of our heart in Hebrew means to chart, to engrave, to ascribe and implement the law for yourself. To attract God's favor upon yourself in the selective love of God, it is necessary to turn God's mercy in His goodness upon yourself by the means of the truth that abides within your heart. Psalm 85, 10-13 Mercy and truth have met together, righteousness and peace have kissed. Truth shall spring out of the earth, and righteousness shall look down from heaven. Yet the Lord will give that what is good and our land will yield its increase. Righteousness will go before him and shall make his footsteps our pathways. The truth can spring out of the earth only upon one condition, and that is when we will be able to worship the Heavenly Father in spirit and in truth, abiding within our heart in the form of the elementary principles of Christ. And then mercy from heaven will meet our prayer that is made in accordance to the truth that springs out of the earth of our heart and the result then of the meeting of the truth that abides within our heart with mercy that comes down to meet it from heaven, the Lord will show his favor to our earth in the form of our earthly body and then the reigning and crushing power of the goodness of the Lord in his favor will destroy the stronghold of death in our body and will throw the old person out from within our body and will replace the stronghold of death with the stronghold of righteousness by the power of the resurrection of Christ, after which time our earth in the form of our body that will that will have the stronghold of righteousness will bear its fruit that will demonstrate itself in the perfection of our Heavenly Father to shine with the sun, sun of justice upon the righteous and unrighteous and pour rain upon the just and unjust. Job 37, 11 through 14. Also with moisture he saturates the thick clouds, he scatters his bright clouds and they, will, they swirl about being turned by his guidance that they may do whatever he commands them on the face of the whole earth he causes it to come whether for correction or for his land or for mercy listen to this o job stand still and consider the wondrous works of god to attract god's favor upon yourself in the selective love of god it is necessary to grow in stature in the lord or in knowing god and the child samuel grew in stature and in favor both with the lord and men for samuel 226 According to this place of scripture, we conclude that the measure of the favor of God toward man depends on the measure of his spiritual growth. The measure of his spiritual growth depends on the measure of obtained knowledge of the essence of God and his goals demonstrated in his will. At the same time, the measure of our knowledge about God depends on the measure of our obedience of the preached word of the, of the person that is placed by God in the body of Christ for the work of ministry, for the edifying of each individual person in the body of Christ in the perfect man, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, Ephesians 4, 11 through 16. And he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some te- pastors and teachers for the keeping of the saints, for the work of ministry, for the edifying Of the body of Christ, till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we would no longer be children tossed to and from, carried about with every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of man, and then the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting, but speaking the truth and love may grow up in all things into Him who is the Head, Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and knit together by what every joint supplies, according to the effect of working by which every part does its share, causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. According to these words, the measure of God's favor upon each individual person in the body of Christ depends on the proper relationship that the members have with each other due to which we can receive growth in the body of Christ for the edifying of ourselves in the, in the Lord. To attract God's favor upon yourself in the selective love of God, it is necessary to be good in the sight of God or be in accordance to the demands of the creation of God created in Jesus Christ for good work that God has requested that we do. A good man obtains favor from the Lord, but a man of wicked intentions he will condemn. Proverbs 12.2 If you paid attention to this parable, we see that first the focus is upon the state of the human heart, not what he's doing, but the state of the heart itself, from where the work he's doing comes
0: from
2: which is good by the fact of its beginning or by the fact of its being born from the seed of the word of truth. Of his own will he brought us forth by the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of his creatures, James
0: 1.18.
2: And second, this given parable focuses upon the demonstration of good that comes from the heart. We need to be very careful and watchful when it comes to defining good work and evil work. This is because the same deed or the one and same act can be either good or bad in the sight of God. And the one and same act that is done by different people can bring about the favor of God or the wrath of God. All will depend on who the initiator or inspirer of this act will be, our flesh being exported by the old person and his deeds or the Holy Spirit that is within god therefore good and evil first is identified by its beginning or root and only after by its fruits a good tree cannot bear bad fruit nor can a bad tree bear good fruit good comes from a good tree not a bad bad tree cannot bear good fruit every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire therefore by their fruits you will know them matthew 7 18- 20. Therefore, according to Scripture, goodness is the goodness of God, the redemption of God, the mercy of God, the salvation of God, the safety or protection of God, the holiness of God, the wisdom of God, the perfection of God, the work of God, the beauty of God, the might of God, the strength of God, the all knowledge of God, the justice of God, the righteousness of God, and the truth of God and this is not the full list of what good is we need to once and for all remember that out of God and independent from God there is no good all that is done out of God nor not for God and not by the power of God is evil good is one that is cleansed from dead works flourishing in God fragrant in God abiding in the truth of of the word filled with the Holy Spirit and truth led by the Spirit of God placed in dependence of the truth and the Holy Spirit prepared to represent the interests of the Most High in the likeness of God here it's referring to an unchanging moral good that usually marks an a harmonious fullness and completeness which is identified by its results that is evident to all and this unearthly goodness is demonstrated in a proportionate uprightness and levelness in favorable sophistication elegance and refinement that is in its generosity comes from the heart that is filled with the love of god for we are his workmanship created in christ jesus for good Good works which God prepared beforehand that He we should walk in them. Good works are thoughts, work, words, and acts that come from the good heart that is cleansed from dead works, which are done within the boundary of holiness and is a demonstration of holiness. And doing these works is something that is inspired by the Holy Spirit in Christ Jesus and for Christ Jesus. Our time is up. Amen. Let us bend our knees. And pray and thank God for that word that we ab- we were able to receive today. All those who are bound by fear, shame, sin, illnesses, you can come here right now to the altar. And we will pray for you. God is able to fulfill his word. He's completely not dependent on what a person feels. He's bound by his word. A person may feel
0: a lot of things, but they're not godly.
2: Or you may have no feeling at all. A person can have all the information and it will work even if he doesn't feel or he does feel because god will do this work again not because of what you feel but because of what his word states amen let us pray i'm going to be praying your prayer and i ask you to deeply believe that god is for you he's not against you He is faithful to His Word. And according to His Word, every time you confess your sins, He throws your sins into hell and blots them out of His memory and never, ever remembers them again. Lift your hands to God. Close your eyes before God. These are signs that you're ready to receive from God what He wants to give you. Pray together with me. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, I come to
0: you
2: with my struggling heart, with my shame, with my fear, with my sin, with my dependence, with my pain and my suffering. I don't see a way out and the circumstances around me, but I know that you have an answer, you have a way out, and I open up my heart to accept your words that can heal me deliver me and justify me and so right now before heaven and hell I want to proclaim that in accordance to your words I am washed I am cleansed I am healed I am restored I am justified and I am saved Your sins are forgiven and your trespasses in the name of Jesus Christ. May the Lord bless you. May He look upon you with His great face and show you mercy and give you peace. May thousands and ten thousands attempt to come near you but they won't touch you. May the Lord show mercy upon you. May He release your sins. May He destroy the stronghold of death within your body and... May he establish the stronghold of life and resurrection. May all this be upon you and upon your children. And the nation shall say, Amen. And now all of us together in finishing our service, let us